Welcome, one and all, to our third episode of Swigcast, a podcast from the same team that brings you the daily swig. I'm John Layden. And I'm Catherine Chapman. In this episode, we're taking a closer look at cybercrime. Now, we might easily talk about how to divert young cyber warriors down a crime-free path, or how criminals get their hands on your medical records. But today, we're going to put the UK's arguably aging computer crime law under the spotlight. The UK's Computer Misuse Act became law in 1990. Now, that was before broadband, or even the advent of web browsers. I mean, were you even born then, Catherine? I don't know. No, rude to ask a lady her age. Carry on, John. Anyway, the act arose because of an ultimately unsuccessful prosecution of two computer enthusiasts who gained entry to BT Prestel's View Data System. One of those enthusiasts was Robert Shafreen, and we spoke to Robert on the phone about his perspectives on this case, which is now more than 30 years old. There was no legislation that specifically mentioned unauthorised access to computers at all um, back, in, back in those days, which was the early 1980s. Um, there was... Um, in then what was there? There was mainly sort of a, a, um, theft of electricity, which is what people got um, charged with if they were doing phone freaking and trying to hack into phone boxes and make free phone calls and things like that. Um, there was no legislation to do with computers and hacking and unauthorised access to computers. So what I was actually charged with was the, was, was forgery, and they. The prosecution was trying to convince a judge that, or a jury rather, that if you type in somebody's password that isn't yours, it's like forging someone's signature on a check. That's basically what the case was all about. And because that ultimately failed, um, so I, I knew I was, I, I was pretty sure I was going to be charged, and I, I was indeed charged, and it went all the way to court, went all the way ultimately to the House of Lords. <laughs> but, um, they, there was no law against hacking, so they had to try and say that typing in a password was like forging the signature. It took an awful long time to prove that it wasn't. And then because of that, then they brought in computer misuse act. So now we have something that covers it, but we didn't back in the day when it's hacking. It's now 2019, and any unauthorized access into a computer system in the UK continues to be prosecuted under this computer misuse legislation. But as we become more and more dependent on digital technology, many say the act is no longer fit for purpose, particularly as incidents of cybercrime are, if anything, increasing. Let's listen again to Robert Schifrin, who we spoke to about the sheer scope of digital crimes in today's modern age. The reliance that we have on data now, the over-reliance we probably have on data now simply wasn't there. So the risk of losing your data wasn't really there. Yes, we were using computers for things, you know, there were, there were computers being used for various things, but it was much more low-tech. I mean, I've heard stories that one of the first um, thefts from the very early type of bank ATM machines was when someone discovered that you could stick a vacuum cleaner down the slot that the cash comes out and suck all the money out. So, you know, it was, it was very different to the electronic sort of crimes we have nowadays. Nowadays, you get phishing attacks. Back in those days, um, somebody had a vacuum cleaner. We're joined now by one of those many people who are looking to see if this particular piece of criminal legislation might be reformed. Please tell our listeners who you are and what you do, Mystery Caller. So my name's Ollie Whitehouse. 
Um, in my day job, I'm CTO for NCC Group, and I'm also a non-executive director at Portswigger. What does NCC Group do? Yeah, best way to describe NCC Group is it's a multinational company headquartered in Manchester in the UK, providing cybersecurity professional managed services. We generate about a quarter of a billion pounds worth of revenue from 32 offices globally. So I guess you know a bit about computer crime then. Well, we have to um, instill in our Padwans and our young'uns a, a deep understanding of the laws of, within which they have to operate, yes. When you're bestilling advice on, on young ones and, and people in the industry, how, how do we define computer crime? Like, Are we talking about data breaches, state-sponsored attacks? And, and how does it fall into the current law? Well, yeah, so obviously in, in the various jurisdictions in which we operate, we're, we're, we benefit from them being written down as laws. So the understanding of them, so in the UK specifically, it's effectively any operation uh, for which you are not an author, uh, authorised for the computer to perform. So, you know, we make that very real with the um, individuals that join our business and we explain that that's everything from you know, denial of service attacks through to illegal access. Um, all of these things fall under uh, today the uh, legislation in the UK and also a number of other countries. Okay, so that would also include things like creating computer viruses. Well, yes, yeah, so that's an interesting one. So there were amendments made to the Computer Misuse Act, which um, if you are making the uh, apparatus or the tools purely for criminal activity, then yes, that does contravene the law. Um, obviously, as you will appreciate, there are many technologies which are dual use. And so in the ethical sphere, we have to create tools which could be used for bad, but are used for good. And there are obviously carve outs and defences for those types of activities. Okay, got you. So banking trojans, bad, but something to be used in a pen test to taste fishing defences, that's okay. That's all With right. Permission. Exactly right, as long as you have the appropriate authorisation. Let's go back to talking about the UK's computer crime law, yes. the Computer Misuse Act. And what I'd like to ask is, um, what elements work and which might be in need of review or reform mm. in what we have at the moment in the UK's computer crime laws? I, you know, that's a very large question and I think one with very many nuanced answers. But I think, you know, if we were to look at the headlines, ask ourselves why laws such as fraud are used more than Computer Misuse Act to achieve prosecutions. Um, similarly, when we look at um, it today, you know, it's written in 1990. Yes, there have been amendments since. It's very old law. Um, and so hasn't maintained pace with how computers are interacted with, quite simply. It didn't foresee necessarily the internet in its, in its current guise. So the reality is, is that today there is the underlying premise that authorization will be given um, and there is no statutory defense. So if we look at other laws, so such as inappropriate material laws, um, there are statutory defenses built into those laws which allow people to have inappropriate material if they have good reason to. So you're a systems administrator, you come across some illegal images, you obviously have a defence written into the law that you can hold on to those images in order to be able to hand off to the police because you had a, a good need. There is today no such defence in uh, against any computer misuse act. There's no statutory defence written into law today. You're either authorised or you're not. I wonder if you can talk a bit about the challenges and then of course NCC yeah. Group's campaign to 
to yeah. change. But the challenge is, is getting on the on the um, <laughs> on the backlog of activities. You appreciate it for those that aren't in the UK. You know, we've got a small thing called Brexit, which is uh, happening, and sadly, and and we can see that that's going to consume a lot of the. Uh, legislative capacity in the short term and so it's competing with a lot of these priorities right so the argument that we primarily make is the is well there's there's several things so the two points that we make is the government is expecting the private sector to be able to help in the fight against cybercrime. at the moment we're doing that with both arms tied behind our back and a blindfold on because we are precluded from supporting them in the ways that we could second there is the economic case on the fact that we are hindered from uh, growth and perspective. So that's how we do it. How we make it real for them is really, we use three at the moment, examples, but are, they're, they're you know, somewhat technical, but they're, they're, they're valid examples. So one, we use the showdown one. So we talk about there's a service in the US and we cannot replicate it in the UK. How is that correct in, in 2019? The second one that we use is we run honeypots and your, you know, your listeners will be familiar with the concept. We set up systems designed to be hacked. Today, we can have be hacked into and be in a position through no hack back, but be in a position to copy files off of the attacker's machine. Today, we cannot copy those. And we bring that as an example. So how are we, as a security defense company, not able to gain valuable intelligence about the person that's broken into us? And then the third one that we use is, you know, often we will come across the ability um, to be able to uh, potentially see all of the compromised machines by an attacker. And today we cannot access that control panel, even if we know the username, that hacking in, because we may have found the username and password through analysis, that we cannot use that in order to see all of the victims of that perpetrator, potentially inform them and eradicate the threat. And we point out that isn't that a bit odd, you know, that we are often in a position, there isn't capacity in government and law enforcement to necessarily prosecute and go after these things in the same way. So do you not want the extra capacity from the private sector? Um, you're talking, uh, it seems to me, about uh, Section 1 of the Act on Unauthorised Access. Very much so. Which has been in the Act since its inception. Correct. Now, over the years, there have been uh, hearings in the House of Commons, hearings in the House of Lords. They've taken expert witnesses. I've sat in on a few mm-hmm. of those over the years. Uh, people like Richie Clayton from Cambridge University. People from industry as well have gone there and spoken to to, to the politicians, right. to the lawmakers. So on one, I mean, you make quite a, a cogent argument, it seems to me. Yes. Um, why hasn't this been looked at before? Because this is this was a measure that was in the Act since 1990, hmm. and it's been revised twice at least yep. since then. So why are we talking about this issue now? Well, I think what's interesting is the revisions have only added things. They've never weakened anything. Mm-hmm. They've added new new crimes, effectively, or clarified particular crimes. They've never um, adjusted, weakened, or provided a defence in, in terms of that. So why hasn't it? Well, I don't think there's been a burning platform to, candidly. Um, I think that you know everyone has recognised... Um, its limitations increasingly, but they've had, at least in uh, kind of the prosecuting, from a prosecuting perspective, they've had other laws that they could fall back on. I think that there hasn't really been a coordinated, concerted or clear um, request from industry or other parts of government as to why it needs to change. And I think that is that is what has happened now. Um, but I think, you know, we have to be 
you know, also sensitive. It it is it is dull. It is technical. You know, we are arguing over. You know, we're trying to translate technical concepts into <laughs> law, which then has to be interpreted by non-technical people. And and people understand that there is risk with that because otherwise you get bad laws written. And and it may be bad now, but you don't want to make it worse for sure. I mean, for one thing, something like threat intelligence. Yeah. Well, which is what, you know, the, the campaign is based on and for good reason. I wonder if you could, I guess sort of take us through why that's beneficial for a, for a national d- defense system yeah. and sort of a bit more about the UK's current posture in, in that environment? Yeah, so the reality is, is you know, we like to think that as we sleep at night that the national apparatus of our respective countries, be it, you know, NSA, FBI in the US or NCSC, NCA in the UK, uh, you know, are the omnipotent all capable teams, infinitely funded and scalable um, to deal with all of the problems that we have. And the reality is they aren't. And and, the rea- and private sector companies have a unique aperture in terms of cyber threat. So what we mean here is um, the private sector today works for victims, organizations of cyber crime. We do our own research um, in order to understand and gain our own understanding of who is doing what against whom, why and how because that has an intrinsic value, uh, candidly, in terms of providing better advice on cyber defense, understanding that when you go to do a cleanup operation that you've done it well, but then also to understand you know, who is economically motivated versus who is based, you know, is, is on an intelligence mission for a foreign government or something similar. Um, the reality is then that is scaled out into the private sector, that those activities now. And there are many companies that either have monetized that intelligence by selling it to end companies or build services off the back of it. Um, and that then has an intrinsic value to the national law enforcement and then cyber defense mandate. And so if you look at the UK specifically, um, you know, we've now got the National Cyber Security Centre is doing great things. And then there is a specific initiative there called Industry 100, where industry goes and sits shoulder to shoulder with the National Cyber Security Centre to go after um, threat, cyber threat, and understand it better in order to provide a better defence to the citizen, to the small medium enterprise, to the large kind of multinational that's in the UK. And then we look at other countries. So Australia is looking to consider something similar. So is Canada, as is the US itself. And so we can see the value now that that kind of tightly coupled partnership brings. But, you know, again, we are somewhat limited in terms of how far we could go. And we're not asking, again, for hacking back by any stretch. But there's further value that can be provided because the private sector is big. Right, and there's lots of us. So we have to think about this from um, the point of view of, of audience members who are in Europe and, and in the US. Yeah, of course. So I think one useful analogy might be between the, the UK laws yep. that co- cover computer misuse and what is the law in the US. Yeah, so obviously the US has the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, so they have that. So the best way I always like to think of it is Today, so some of your listeners will be familiar with Shodan. Shodan is the Google of the internet in terms of the devices which are connected to the internet. Um, As written today, it would be illegal to build that and operate that in the United Kingdom. Yet it is legal for Shodan 
to have been built and operate from North America. And that is performing arguably a degree of network scanning um, and interrogation of devices, which by virtue of UK law, you know, there are certain constraints on. So I think that's probably a good example of one of the bigger discrepancies um, between the UK and the US. But but similarly, you know, they very clearly criminalise illegal hacking and they provide the way for legislators and law enforcement officials to prosecute under those. You know, the challenge with any reform is that everyone is anxious about are you going to give the bad person a defence which they can use. They thought that they were, you know, that they're a trained professional or something else and they try and use these statutory defences as a way of getting out. Is reform going to happen? What more is needed in order to do so? I I think that's a great question. Um, You know, nothing is ever sure until it's done. I think it is highly likely it will happen. Um, We know that there's going to be an academic report um, coming out towards the end of this year um, that will highlight some changes and, and recommendations for some changes. Uh, I think that there are, it's almost a perfect storm now. So there's the private sector asking for change. There will be academia recommending change. Government itself indeed recognises the need for change for a variety of reasons. And so by virtue of that, I'd be aghast if it was not reformed. The question will be when then. And, you know, I would optimistically say within the next couple of years, being how these things do, the processes they have to go to. You know, we've been, um, it was initially just us. We started a campaign about two years ago. Um, that is now wider than just us. So there, we have now got a body of competitors, NCC Group Context, Netitude, Digital Shadows, all calling for this reform. Um, and you know, we are getting some headway, and that's involved with speaking with league government departments, the Home Office, um, relevant stakeholders, being the National Crime Agency, National Cybersecurity Centre, all of those people that would have a say and an opinion. We've had to go out and educate, as well as our elected parliamentarians, because they have to see the need and support it accordingly. How how might changes in the big picture of how technology is used, with the, you know, greater use of cloud computing, greater use of of containers, five G, all that play into what happens with the computer crime law? Well, that's a great question, right? Because one of the things, one of the um, expectations, is that the authorization is granted by the owner. Who owns what in this mm. in this new way of working? Is it I am the owner, or I am the custodian, or the renter, or, or um, and so I think it does have a, a, a an interesting uh, dimension there. I also think that we've got wider, interesting challenges there. So there's a suggestion at the moment that technologists and mathematicians should take a Hippocratic oath because actually the things, the powers that we are able to unleash now increasingly cannot purely be governed by legislation and regulation, you know, because it cannot keep pace. So actually having a Hippocratic Oath of sorts is one way to moderate the uh, kind of ethical elements um, to this. Hippocratic Oath, if I'm correct, and this is going from memory, is from doctors, it's like first do no harm. That's right. What would the cyber equivalent of that be? Yeah, you put me on the spot there, and um, I, I cannot, I cannot imagine. But you know, it, it should be surely, you know, defend one's interests. You know, and that be a national level or a, or an individual level. Okay, maybe we'll come back to that. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's an exciting time ahead. It is. So, if Parliament ever gets beyond fighting about Brexit, 
there's plenty of material to consider in reforming the UK's computer crime law, aside from everything else. Thank you so much to Ollie Whitehouse for joining us and taking us through the NCC Group's campaign for much-needed reform of computer crime laws here in the UK and indeed elsewhere. Until next time. Hasta pronto. Slick cast terminated.